0: Manchester's indie rock and roll station. Excess Manchester. The Excess Manchester Long Player. An iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Excess Manchester. Welcome to The Excess Long Player, I'm Jim Salverson and this is a podcast that looks back at some of the classic albums of our time, some of the greatest ever LPs and today I'm talking about Cooler Shaker's debut album K, released back in 1996. And an album that became the fastest selling debut album in the UK since Oasis and Definitely Maybe, which, by the way, is another album you can hear discussed on this podcast series. I talked to Alan McGee about that, so zoom back in the podcast feed to find it. But we are talking about Kay today, and I'm joined by Crispian and Alonza for the band to discuss its conception, recording, and a bit of the infamous fallout after the album as well. This, in my view, is one of the most creative albums of the Britpop era, but also had a few standout singles on it. Tracks that are still played on radio today like Tatver and Hey Dude, which you might remember was only kept off the number one spot when it was released by the Spice Girls. But that's quite enough from me. Let's get stuck into this. Crispian Mills and Alonza Bevan from Cooler Shaker discussing their debut album K on the Excess Long Player. Welcome to the Excess Long Player, gentlemen.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you very much.
0: Here we are. Am I right in thinking that the first shoots of success for Cooler Shaker began here in Manchester? Because I think, I might have this wrong, but I think you won a competition within the city in Manchester and that resulted in you subsequently getting the record deal with Columbia that went on to you releasing your debut album.
1: It's true there's been a lot of um intersections with Manchester in our career that have proved to be both fateful and fortuitous.
2: Well yeah I mean in in the city was was a, was a great like a I guess an industry kind of festival at the time we yeah. we, we won that uh, joint uh, winners with Placebo wasn't it that year I think.
1: You know, I think we were getting a bit of heat from the record companies. And uh, finally, after having kind of been ignored, for, for, we kept changing our name every six months because the record companies didn't want to know. And we kept changing our name and submitting new demos. <laughs> <They> go, <laughs> it's a bit similar to that. But we started to get heat. Some friends of ours are in a band called Reef and they, they started to do well. And we went on tour with them and people started to take notice. And our manager Kevin, who's from round Manchester Way, said, "You got to do this, lads. This is important." And we said, "Oh, we're not going to go being tarts for the for the music industry." And we had all that attitude going. I said, "No, seriously, it will really help me do my job." So we went and we did it, and it actually turned out to be just loads and loads of gigs going on everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then somehow, you know, they were like joint winners, but we didn't take it seriously because how can you win? How can you really? It was like Battle of the Bands, you know. But it did help. It did help, and then, the, and then the industry down in London, those villains down there. We had a couple of labels bidding for us, which was nice.
0: Did it feel like a bit of a sliding doors moment, or do you think it probably would have happened for you anyway? You were getting enough attention at that point that sooner or later a deal was going to come. The most
1: memorable sliding door was the one that led to the Stallion Sauna, which is the uh, where we were staying, the bed and breakfast.
2: It was the Colton Hotel. I don't know if it's still there. It was on the recommended list of hotels for poor southerners coming up to stay. And (laughs) it was, yeah, it was a very colourful hotel. There was a flyer for the 24-hour mail-only sauna. And we realised that was at the hotel we were staying
1: at. uh, Big shout out to the stallion sauna for making that very memorable in the city.
2: We gave them our award, didn't we? We got an award for in the city. I think it was a banana with two apples placed uh, suggestively (laughs) at the base, sprayed silver. And I think we donated that to the Colton Hotel.
0: It's still there now in the sauna. (laughs) (laughs) There's been a fair few people in Manchester who have been caught out by the 24-hour mail saunas not having any sauna facilities (laughs) of any aspect (laughs) at all. I don't think you'd be the first. Um, Going back to signing that deal with Columbia, I think there were nine months between the deal being signed, the ink being dry... And the debut album, which is K, which we're talking about coming out, it went on to become the fastest selling debut album since Definitely Maybe. At the time, it was when British bands were kind of ruling the waves. So that is a big achievement. But did it feel meteoric at the time? Did it feel like it was a real rapid rise? And did that success catch you off guard?
1: So A friend of mine uh, described it as a balloon in a gale. And uh, it's certainly it certainly felt like that. I mean, there's a certain amount of work that you do where, you know, you, you plan, you know, your work and you, you plan your music and your managers making plans and then there's luck and you get you get you get luck that comes in and unexpected things like Noel turning up Noel Gallagher turning up to um a gig we did and offering us Nebworth and then Chris Evans. Starting to really support us, mm. and certain things that just just tip tip the balance, and uh yeah, it was fast. But because we'd been working for a long time as a band, writing and and developing and and slogging it out, it it felt like a continuation rather than that nine months. But for a lot of people, it seemed like we just came out of nowhere.
0: So, did you feel ready for it, or did the success and the big studios and the suits from London add? kind of pressure onto you as a band that maybe you hadn't experienced before
1: nobody can be ready for that no it because it's the end of your of your privacy it's the end of your innocence actually because uh you know you get you're becoming um you're you're sort of public property um there was and then also you know it's it's the, the business is um is pretty brutal so yeah no you can't prepare for it but you can just sort of um stiff British upper lip that's what we did, that's we, what we, did.
2: we didn't have time to think did we I mean at the same time as we we're making an album we were also touring were we not playing with the presidents of the United States at that time and we were doing gigs at the same time we were doing little sessions we'd go into a studio for a week or two weeks cut some tracks and then we would be out on the road again it was really we really didn't have time to to, to, to think about it well I didn't anyway
1: Yeah, no, you didn't have time
0: to use the toilet. (laughs)
2: <laughs> i didn't have time to have a good yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm surprised to hear it was that frantic because on the album i hear a lot of ideas i hear a lot of experimentation and that doesn't seem to fit with a band that are kind of up against it in terms of production because normally for that kind of thing you need a creative space you need kind of the, the room for things to gestate and develop so was there a conflict there between what you wanted to do and that pressure and that time scale
1: we had a lot of time to to get our act together before it, you know, we actually started cutting the record, and then we had John Leckie, who we loved because he'd done Stone Roses, mm. was a huge album for us, and and he'd also done The Dukes of Stratosphere which was another big uh, psychedelic album that we loved and so we would record with him and actually he would keep things ticking over while we went off to do some gigs and we came back and we'd meet him in another studio maybe somewhere on the road he'd meet us in somewhere like chipping norton or something he'd pop up like i saw like a musical gnome and he'd be <laughs> wait, wait, waiting for us <laughs>
0: Was he kind of a father figure in those sessions coming in with his experience like you say he worked with the Roses and he produced their debut was he a kind of guiding light through those experiences for you?
1: He was, a very, he was like a magical creature.
2: <laughs> a gnome, I think, is a good way of describing him. Yeah, he's like a mystical creature from the underworld, and really talented engineer, yeah.
1: And we loved also the fact that he goes back. He 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 engineered Instant Karma, John Lennon's track, and he, he was there in the studio, you know, tape-popping for George Harrison on All Things Was Past. He's like probably one of the most... Influential Cooler Shaker Records, and so yeah, you know, there's in in the Hobbit, there's there's like Gandalf the Grey, and then there's the other guy in brown who has like <laughs> sparrows sparrows living in his hair. It's that's a bit John Leckie. You want to understand John Leckie? That is that guy. He doesn't have sparrows living in his hair, but he lives in that kind of. House. I don't know about that. Magical. yeah, magical cool. <laughs> Mushrooms. Yeah, moving mushrooms.
0: I'm going to ask you both to pick a moment off the album in a moment. It can be a highlight. It can be a memory. It can be something that casts a memory from the recording. Just kind of pick out a moment for me in just a mm. second. But I want to talk about before we do that, a great example, I think, of Pushing Boundaries and Govinda. One of the singles off it that got to number seven in the charts did incredibly well and I'll wage it is probably, I've not researched this, but I think it's a pretty good bet that it is the only ever UK top 10 single to be sung in Sanskrit. Did it feel like you were making bold choices at that stage? Did you have record bosses that were kind of banging on the door demanding that you recorded or released another Hey Dude rather than tracks like Govinda?
1: Yes, actually, you're absolutely right. There, there was there was some there was a bit of understanding, and then there was all, all, also those kind of moments where we had a track which was ended up on our second album called Shower Your Love?" and they were really very uh, insistent that we put that on the album and that become a, a single. And mm. and we we felt like we wanted the the spiritual thing and the the Indian you know sounds and the live energy of. Um, of Govinda. And we went for it. Yeah, we, had, we really stuck to our guns there, but we'd already had three hits. So we were in a pretty strong position to, to ask for that request humbly.
0: <laughs> right. I'm going to ask you both to pick a moment of this album. Alonzo, you can go first. Is there a particular track or a moment on it that sparks off memories for you from its creation?
2: Um, I'm trying to think. I do remember recording Magic Theatre. I remember tracking the piano and I remember tracking the piano again while John Necky was messing around with the time of the tape machine, which gave it that rather warbly kind of chorus feel. Um, That is just an interesting technique that really, really worked and it made up for my bad piano playing as well.
1: There was still a lot of still a lot of still a lot of effects and um, production techniques that were were you know proper analog using tape, mm. and um, so it was, yeah, it was. I mean, it was still the very tail end of the analog recording age.
2: That's <laughs> the great thing, yeah. We did get to record on on real tape, going to a big desk, and it really felt like making a record. It's true.
0: Do you look back at that fondly, or do you kind of think when you look back if you'd made K in the age of digital that you would have had a better product or a worse product for for that matter
1: i don't know i'll I tell you the one of the most um, memorable moments for me on that album was being in a classic studio in london called townhouse and slogging away on the trying to get the drum sounding right for tapa and we had something in mind and and john i think had something else in mind and we were moving the mics here and moving the mics there and after about six hours of this he, he was. Pulling his thatched hair out, and we and he said, "I don't understand why you guys won't just go with this sound." I mean, this room is perfectly good. We said, "No, it doesn't work. This room sounds awful. It's all stone." He says, It's work, It's good enough for Phil Collins." <laughs> At that moment, we just said, "Right, next, moving, moving out there, get it out."
2: We grabbed a drum each and moved it into the other room. <laughs>
1: Actually, to be fair, that was a classic room. He, that, that was where he recorded the the legendary. <laughs> I can feel it coming in the tonight. It was good enough for him, but it wasn't good enough for us.
0: (laughs) Fair enough.
1: (laughs) Well, we were were going for a retro thing and the 80s were... Then the the 80s were not cool. Now they've become post-ironic cool.
0: I want to talk about the tail end of this album, which I imagine probably wasn't a period you look back on too fondly there were some comments that you made Crispian, about the well documented comments now about the origins of the swastika in mythical indian culture it resulted in a newspaper story that suggested That you had dabbled in Nazism, which is a weird statement. When you look at the themes and the lyrics from your music, you can tell you're not a band full of right-wing supporting idealists. Yeah, dabble with Nazism. Yeah, that's that's a thing, isn't it? Can people dabble in Nazism? But anyway, we've got 25 (laughs) years now since that happened between the kind of press stories and the fallout from that. How do you look back on it now? Do you look back on it and think you were completely screwed over by the British press, or do you... Look back at it and say, Oh, I, I wish I'd been more careful with my words at the time.
1: <laughs> well, speaking as a, you know, a half Jewish Krishna kid, it was pretty weird. But, you know, it's kind of like now with the trolling that you get on social media or when the mob, you know, kind of like gets kind of, kind of all rallies around somebody's comment. Like, you know, I think the last time it kind of happened off social media was like with Russell Brand and the mm-hmm. whole thing with, um, you know, Jonathan Ross and that phone call to um, Sax's daughter. It's like you just need to shut up and just let them get on with it. You know, let everybody shout and throw stuff at you. It's just what happens. It's just what happens when you get into that into that world. And, um, you know, it just uh, it's like a, it's, it's storming a teacup, really. What you can't do when you're in the public eye is take any of it seriously because it's not even really happening to you. It's just happening to this this mm-hmm. person that exists in the media. My mum, when my mum was a kid, and she started m- making films, and she became really, really famous, and it was a shock to her as well. Even though her her dad was a, was a film star, you know, it was a shock, and she she realised that the person on these posters was wasn't her. It was something. It was someone else completely, and it was a big it was a big shock, and you kind of have to readjust.
0: Did it tarnish? the experience did it tarnish the period that should have been an amazing period for the band releasing your debut album but did it kind of sully that experience and did it delay what came next as well because there was a bit of a gap between that and the second album i I think and where you should have been riding the wave
1: oh oh, we, we 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 did i mean you know actually success and fame is just puts the pressure on and i remember really laughing when supergrass were going into the studio to to make their second album and they announced the working title of their album which was just second album syndrome (laughs) 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 and uh you know because you get that pressure to you have to you know have to um uh, replicate that same success I mean, the most complicated moment of our second album was, was being in the studio with Rick Rubin and George Deculius producing us at the same time. They're both guys are well over six foot and quite big fellows with giant beards, and we're all quite sort of skinny Englishmen. And I uh, thought, how did we get here? And at that point, yeah, you've got proper second album syndrome.
0: How do you feel about this album now, your debut, like I say, over 25 years since its release? Do you look back on it fondly and see it as a perfect piece of work? Do you hear the imperfections? What's your relationship like with it now?
1: It's just the energy. It's it's, um, it's the urgency that I hear. And uh, yeah, that's why I think when you, you know, everything I do now, you will always, that, uh, that, that first music that you ever made, you will always reference that mm-hmm. and gauge and take your own pulse and say, well, how am I doing? Where am I, where am I at? Masses of ambition on that album too, that, you know, you're still, and I'm, I'm personally, I know you, Alonzo too, we're both still trying to not just uh, match it, but we're trying to, you know, go beyond it because we're still, we're still searching for that the moody blues you know we're looking for the uh the magic chord that's gonna you know save the world
0: do you go back to that album alonzo when you're kind of you've just made the album the, the new album first congressional church of eternal love and free hugs do you kind of go back to k as a reference point for what you're going to do with new music as and when it comes
2: yeah i think it's you know it's it's yes it's where we come from it's our start point it's really hard obviously for us to for for myself anyway to, to be ob- objective about k Certainly, yeah. That it's it's that live, live energy that I think what was re- we got from K. It, it it did feel like a young band that, that had loads of energy, as, as Crispin just said. It's um, and then you do strive for that. Absolutely, you try and deny your aching knees and the 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 years that pass and, and and go for that that you know that excitement, that that energy, that youthful energy. Absolutely,
1: the best bands. And the best gig I ever saw was The Who in 1999. In a rock and roll it is about a spirit. It is about an attitude and a passion. And if you are filled with the, the Holy Spirit, then it doesn't actually matter what age you are. You just are infected with it. And then you you know, you know connect with the audience. And that night I saw The Who. They just blew every other band I'd ever seen away. They just, they just had it. They still had it. So for me, that's actually... One of those formative experiences, and K K was an ambitious album because it wants to be up there, and it's still uh, aspiring to, you know, be in the company of the of the giants.
0: I think that's a perfect statement on which to finish our conversation about cooler shaker k the classic album that's been under the microscope today on the excess long player crispian alonza absolute pleasure to speak to you
2: lovely to speak to jim thank you very much thank you
0: Excess manchester long player an iconic album in full with jim salverson XS manchester how cool was that? Crispian and Alonza sharing their memories and thoughts about their debut album, K. I particularly enjoyed the story about the stallion sauna in my hometown of Manchester. If you enjoyed that and this is your first time visiting the Excess Long Player, make sure you listen to some of the other podcasts in the series, some of the other brilliant albums. There's a lot of 90s albums in there discussed with the people that made them just spin back in the timeline to find it and subscribe to this podcast feed because there'll be another excess long player at some point soon Cheers for your ears have a good evening. the excess Manchester long player an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson excess Manchester